very much. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, we're going to be picking up in verse 6. First five verses again, dealing more with the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and how we had looked at that uh, last week, and, and uh, that it didn't matter Jew or Gentile, that you can be sure that God's judgment is according to truth. And that no one was going to escape this judgment. And then we looked at, focused a lot of our time on the goodness of God. On how, how often we fail to recognize just how good God is and His goodness and how we abuse His goodness. And we tend to think that He is unfair when something that is simply just takes place. So we pick this up now in verse 6 and some important verses today. We're going to go down through verse number 11. Who will render, this is dealing with, the, with after just finished up with the statement about the righteous judgment of God, the, the judgment day, day of wrath. says, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. But unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I, I know I thank you for that. And Lord, I ask your blessing now upon the service. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored. I ask that you would control what I say and how I say it. I pray that it would be clear. And Lord, that you would use the truth that we see here to strengthen our walk, in, our walk with you. Lord, that you would draw us closer to you, that we would leave here with a, just a, a greater desire to please you. Lord, especially along these lines as we see in your text tonight, to live a life seeking to glorify you, to live a life seeking you to put honor upon us. And so, Lord, please work now. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. There is a day coming uh, like no other. It will be unique in all of eternity. It'll be a day that is full of dread and horror. Uh, there will not be one person, one man approaching this day with any arrogance, but all will approach it with great fear. It is a day, of course, other things will take place on this day, such as every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single one. Every single one. Muhammad will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Osama bin Laden will bow 
and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single one. All will know that day. The truth is, they'll be well aware of it before this day that we're going to be talking about. But all will know that He is the way, the truth, and the life. All will know He is God. This is the day that God will judge. Look over in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 30 and 31, speaking of this day. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. No one will escape this day. All who appear at this judgment will be terrified before the Lord. They will, that'll be the primary emotion they're experienced when this day hits. There'll be many that will be experiencing that we can see from Scripture, from regret. But terror will control. As we know from in the previous chapter, a verse that I refer to often, again, nobody will escape it, and as it is appointed men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The final judgment day is given many different names in the Word of God. Obviously, in Romans chapter 2, there in verse 5, Romans chapter 6, it's referred to as the day of wrath. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, it's called the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In Jude, in Jude 6, it is called the great day. We have text with different that gives, gives us different pictures of what takes place that judgment day. Let's look over at Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read also from Matthew right before this, in Matthew 13. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Look at verse 8 of the next chapter. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It will be a dreadful day, a day of terror. The Christian, we too face a judgment day. It is different than this one. But nonetheless, it is the judgment day when we will stand before Almighty God. It is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. This too will be a day of fear. As all of our works, all of our deeds are going to be tried by fire. Every single one of them. We learned last week that God's judgment is based on truth. And remember, when it comes judgment day, everything that takes place on both judgment days, we tie this in with last week, will only be what is just. That's what will take place. This evening, I want to look at three different things about this coming judgment. I want to look at this judgment for both the redeemed and the unredeemed. I'm going to, I put it in three areas if you want to write it down. I'm going to look at judgment and conduct, judgment and the Christian, and judgment and the condemned. So let's start off first. I need to talk about judgment and our conduct. What I mean by that is this. These are verses that are often misinterpreted and can lead people astray into somehow believing that the Bible teaches a works-based salvation. For those who like to hold to a works-based salvation, this is a text that is often quoted. Um, and at first glance, one might seem to wonder, is this teaching work salvation? So I'm going to cover that first before we dive into the two judgments and we're going to see that these verses in no way, not even remotely, teach works as a means of salvation. We see Paul was not teaching about salvation by good deeds at all. He was teaching the fact that a truth about Judgment Day, a truth about when God judges the redeemed and those who are not redeemed, that both judgments will be according to deeds. Both of them. And it will be based in truth. Throughout Scripture we see this truth present. That God will judge us based on our deeds or based on our works. That is true for the lost and that is true for the saved. We just read it mentioned twice in the book of Revelation in chapter 20. Where man at that judgment day, will be judged based on their works, their deeds. Let, we're not, for time's sake, I'm not going to turn there, but I'm going to read to you several verses right now. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Of course, in the book of Matthew, it says, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Both of these judgments, mankind will be judged based on his deeds, the works he did. This judgment is not to, is not to determine whether one is saved or lost. That is already determined. But both of these judgments, when we stand before the Lord, we will be judged based on our works before the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the Bible clearly teaches that works play no part in salvation whatsoever. And if you understood how salvation works with what Christ did, you would, even if you did not have a verse in the Bible, you would understand works cannot be a part of this. We're going to see, I want you to look, let's go back to Romans right there. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in Romans 2 and 3. So I can demonstrate to you that Paul in no way is suggesting that works plays a part in salvation. And you will understand what he's saying here by the time I'm done with this message. But look at this. Let, let's, let's look at a key. Where does he get to? I don't have it written down here. but in, in, I'm going to come to this verse later, but I want you to notice what he says in the next chapter, what he's leading to. As we're going to be dealing with the righteousness which a Christian has and a, a practical righteousness that should be in their life. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Now he's showing how the, the, the change comes about, and that is through salvation, receiving the righteousness of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 4. This, again, is in the same letter, written literally 60 seconds after he penned the words in in chapter 2, basically. It says in, in, in verse number 2 of Romans 4, For if Abraham were justified by works, he have wherefore to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture, Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We're all familiar with other verses, of course, that teach this as well. Verses such as Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Verses like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the Bible is very clear, even in, in the same writing as the Holy Spirit had Paul sit down and pin this in, he is very clear that salvation is not of works. But Judgment Day is. In our text, Paul is not dealing with how to be saved. These are not verses teaching on salvation. He is talking about all the day that all men will be judged of God and will be rewarded based on their works. 
He is teaching us on what judgment day will look like for both the redeemed and the unredeemed. And he is describing in character how you can look and see the two different groups of people that are alive on the earth. How their life will manifest itself. And by the way, if you'll notice, he doesn't mention a profession of faith. As we see in our text, a saved saved person will produce good deeds and works. It is proof, it is evidence of conversion. A saved person will have a desire to follow God and a desire to follow righteousness. A lost person certainly will not have that within them. Now, let's address the obvious. Does a saved person sin? They certainly do. Does a lost person do good deeds? They certainly do. What he is dealing with here is direction. I mean, for instance, let's, let's take some obvious biblical men who had failures but were serving God. David. David had some horrendous sins. But you all know when you look at his life, the direction of his life was God. Let's take Judas. Judas, while serving as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, had plenty of good deeds done. But the direction of his life was self-seeking. This goes along with what the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, build all things are become new. A saved person, although even as Paul mentions, it's not as if a saved person ever arrives at that point, but a saved person has that desire for God. Again, I've said this so many times, but it probably has been a while. If you claim to be saved because you made a profession of faith and you really have no desire for God, listen to me, something's wrong. If you were in my office and you told me that, I'd say, listen, that tells me you are not saved. We cover that to a great extent because the book of 1 John does when we went through 1 John. We have a desire for righteousness. Again, for the saved, as we saw in Romans chapter 3, our righteousness is a result of Christ's righteousness being imputed unto us. With that comes along a desire for the Lord and for righteousness. So, the judgment day, as Paul is describing it, is going to produce the appropriate, what is just, as far as reward or punishment, however you want to look at it. For both, redeemed and unredeemed. This judgment in no way determines if one is saved or unsaved. It determines the state of the Christian in heaven, if you will. And it determines the amount of suffering for the one under wrath. So let's dive into this. We're going to look at at the the primary two points here right now. Judgment and the Christian, and then we'll look at judgment and the condemned. Judgment and the Christian. Look at verse number 7 of our text. 
to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. There's also a reference again in verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So let's dive into this a little bit as far as judgment and the Christian. We all know that we as Christians will face a very real judgment. Our judgment day will come during the great tribulation is when we will stand before Christ and face this. I want you to try and think of how this day is going to look. Just, just uh, imagine the terror that's going to be there when I think about it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I picture it in my mind's eye something along this line. That we know that it's taking place. That multitudes are, however God does it, in a just massive time frame. But I, will be, I certainly believe it will be on an individual basis throughout. Remember, it's outside of time then. So it's going to be fascinating at how it takes place. But within that, I picture it like this. Basically, a, a booming voice of an angel calling my name. That will happen to you. I mean, just think about that. When it's your time and you know it. And you hear your name called. Mike Moffat. And you know you're going to stand before him and you can hide behind nothing. Nothing. Every single work good or bad, will be revealed. Multitudes of us, all of us will have a measure of them, of our works will be burnt up. He's going to reveal them to us. And I don't know exactly how that's going to look. I have imagery in my mind of how I pictured of seeing the things that I have done. And then just to see him, gone. Maybe because of motivation. Everything done, though, will be just. Every deed, good or bad, will be brought up. And you're going to be, you're going to be right there, trembling... When you see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, it just won't be a church story anymore. You're, you're not going to see him as this, as, as like Rick Warren, who is just deceiving multitudes nowadays from Saddleback Church. He's not going to be this cool guy and going to be your buddy on this day. You're going to be trembling before God Almighty and he knows everything about you. And not only that, you think about your judgment day, Christian. You are the one he bought with a price, and you are not your own. We will give it an account. Again, some will have their works burn up. For some, I can just see the charge of dereliction of duty hitting strong. The multitudes of Christians who knew the life they were given by Christ, the calling we had, the, the, how the life was supposed to go, and we were derelict in that duty. Those of you in the military are going to be familiar with that from the UCMJ. Some will hear by our Lord Jesus Christ on that day when it's all done. And He's actually going to reward you. And you get to hear. And the terror will probably end at that moment, by the way. Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
And much of what takes place on that day, and I, you know, I, I'm not diving into that, but we can, we can tie it together with key parables and other examples in Scripture, I believe is going to determine a responsibility that you are going to have for all of eternity. That judgment day is coming. So verse 7 is describing for us the conduct of what the redeemed look like. And the key for our rewards. And you'll see that. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now I want all of us from... Old, not from Richard down to the young. Teenagers especially, pay attention to, to what we're going to dive into here. This verse is often misunderstood. Again, as I've stressed, it in no way teaches salvation by works, but is the marks of a person who is saved. The first word given to us is the word glory. This is speaking of to glorify God, to reflect God's glory. In other words, as a result of regeneration, as a result of genuine conversion taking place in a life, that person will begin to seek God's glory and not their own glory. This is all of a sudden a desire that comes with the Christian life to see God magnified by your life. It's no longer a life that wants to seek glory for self. It's a life that, desi- that desires to seek God's glory. That all of a sudden... That that desire is there. Now listen to me, Christian. You have a choice what you do with that. You have a choice to, to make that choice, to make your life purpose about glorifying God in all that you do. 2 Corinthians 10.31 Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, I can't quite, I'm, I'm, mixing, I'm mixing up, whatsoever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God. Is speaking of those who, again, seek God's glory, to seek a life where God is glorified by their actions. To seek a life when those around you realize that, that, in a sense, they can see God in you, as we like to phrase it nowadays. But where God is glorified in others, that through your examples, through your works, through your deeds, through how you live, before your family, before your spouse, before your children, that God is glorified. Second thing that is mentioned here is honor. This is seeking to be honored by God. So this is the person, one, and it's again marks the regeneration. We have a choice what we do with it, and I do believe, as you're going to see, these things will guide our conduct and our deeds. If, if you begin to get a hold of the fact, and, it is, and if you're saved, the desire should be there. It should be there right now. God's Spirit saying, listen, yes, it's about glorifying God. It's about you using your, your strength, your talent, your wisdom, your intelligence, in a way in which others, that, that God will be glorified. To the end of this honor, where God, the context is God honoring you. Think about this. Can you think of anything greater in the universe You know, we have people seeking for such vain and empty goals. 
you know, whether it's to be in sports, to win a Super Bowl, to whatever, to give all their, to win a gold medal at the Olympics, to give all their talent to that, to give all your time and energy for a position. I just got to get this position. But the greatest thing in the universe, it's not a 12-foot grizzly. It's not an 82-inch bull. Think about this. The greatest thing you could ever accomplish in the universe is to be in a place where the Creator honors you. That's what it's all about. I get to hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. To live a life that's not seeking man's praise. Not to do good deeds so that, so that others will notice. I mean, above all else, that's what I want. To be honored by God. This is what we should live for. This should be our end. To seek this. Listen, teenagers, that's what life's all about. Seeking that. To have that as your goal. That You know what? I'm going to glorify God. To hopefully have that one day where I glorified Him. And He is pleased with my life. That the Creator Himself places honor upon me. And of course... Along this, they also seek immortality. I mean, we look for, let's face it, being saved, I think we all do this. This is almost the easiest of all these. All these are present. If you're saved, there's, there's a desire in you to glorify God. Now, to what extent you feed that, that's up to you. There's a desire in you that you should want to be honored by the Creator. And there's also the desire for, when all this is over with, immortality. I mean, I look forward to having a, a, a new body that is incorruptible, where I can no longer age. Roger's not here, but I like to see Roger run. I'm going to sit down with Caleb McDonald. Listen to me, Caleb. When we're in heaven, I'm going to sit down with you. You're not going to say a word, and I am going to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Then I'm going to talk some more. And I'm not going to let you say a word. And I'm going to tell you the weirdest jokes that you've ever heard. But then, Caleb, we're going to go for a really nice walk. I look forward to the time when this corruptible body puts on perfection. There's no more aging. There's no more juicing. That'll be over with. Vegetable juicing in heaven will be a sin. There is no doubt about it. Doritos will be everywhere. <laughs> I doubt that. But Now, think about this. If you put these things together, think how crucial these are in your life. The immortality is helping you to focus on the eternal, not on the temporal. That's going to help you through so many battles and other ways in life. But you put together the idea of seeking to glorify God. That you want God to honor you. Focusing on the eternal immortality. 
That puts you where Colossians chapter 3 is talking about in verse 1. You are now heavenly minded. You are now seeking those things which are above. It is when that takes place, you know what that does? When those things are combined, it will guide your deeds. It will guide your works. It's putting something to the God-given desires for any single person that is regenerate, that is born again. I believe it is those three things that are the foundation for us being able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, let's go on to the judgment and the condemned. Verse 8 and 9. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, also of the Gentile. Now, the judgment of the lost. We now see the fruit of their life, what their life looks like. And how they're going to be rewarded. We start off with a word here, contentious. Interesting how it's used in this context. In this context. Uh, let, let me do some, give you some reading out of definitions from this. This expression usually denotes those who are quarrelsome. And generally has a reference to controversies among people. But here, it denotes a disposition towards God. And is of the same uh, uh, significance uh, as a rebellion. Or as opposing God. They who contend with the Almighty, who resist His claims. So it's dealing with this rebellious attitude. Those who are fighting against God. The root word of this was fascinating, and it fits perfectly. Hireling. Mercenary. A hireling, if he's hired for something, the only thing he cares about in whatever is duty he's performing is himself and the pay he's getting. He has actual no concern for whatever service he is doing or, or whatever work he's performing. It's about self. That's it. You can see the difference between the regenerate and the unregenerate is one group is self-seeking and one group is not. They seek God. They seek to glorify God, while this group will seek to glorify self. This group follows the logic and wisdom of our day, that it's all about you. You do what's best for you. This self-centered, narcissistic, ugly culture that we have right now that is full of pride. That is a rebellious spirit that is simply directly against the Creator. This is a person who is all about self, and they will fight God. They are self-seeking. Doesn't care at all about God's glory, but does care about self-glory. It's about what pleases me, what will make me happy, what will satisfy me. This is what I want. This attitude, then, will control their deeds. Therefore, we can see the progression as a result of that. They will not obey the truth. Well, of course not. It's about self. I mean, after all, they have their own truth. They don't need God's. 
I mean, isn't that our, 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 our little motto of, did, uh, of today? Each of us have our own truth. If that truth works for you, it's not about if a truth works for you. It's about, is it true or not? Are you believing a lie because some group made it easy for you to believe you're a male and you're struggling, so you're actually a woman? You say, well, that's my truth. No, that's your lie. There's no truth in that whatsoever. Or let's bring it more closer to home. How about today what we've seen going on within Christians and churches? Let's face it. They don't word it that way because we're much more spiritual. But the multitudes today, by far, simply want their own truth when they serve God. They want it to look how they want it to look. So that person then obeys unrighteousness. Sin becomes his master as he lives for self. You can see the progression taking place from a self-seeking attitude, fighting with God, then followed by disobedience, finishing up with much sinfulness as they dive into unrighteousness. You can see the road for the lost is seeking self, fighting against God, while the road for the, those who are genuine Christians is submission to God. Lord, what would you have me to do? And then, it touches on their reward. Look at that verse. These words, some of them, when I get into anguish here, wow. Verse 9. Tribulate, of course, wrath is coming with this indignation, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Tribulation and anguish. This is part of the wrath of God that is coming. My we in heaven will have peace, glory, honor. They are going to have this tribulation, this anguish, this wrath upon them. Tribulation here means this. Pure, straight definitions means this. And we're going to tie the words together. This is just one glimpse of what's going to take place in hell. Means to put pressure on something to press. We have to tie together with anguish, though. This is a really interesting word. Again, it gives us a glimpse into some of the dread of hell. And maybe this is one of the worst. This word, noun, is used three other places in the New Testament. Romans 8.35 is distress. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.4, 2 Corinthians 12.10. And uh, um, it's used in a verb form also two other times. It literally means narrowness of place, lack of room. But it deals with the mind. So God, as part of wrath, what's going to be taking place in hell, in the lake of fire, there's going to be a measure of wrath placed upon that rebellious mind of man. And what it is producing is this anguish. His mind will have no space. Think about this. Nowhere to go. 
the mind will have no rest. Put both together. I'm going to quote one source here. The anxiety and distress of mind, which a man experiences who is pressed on every side by affliction, trials, want, punishment, who does not know where to turn, does not, where to, does not know where to go to find relief, because there is none. The mind of that person will be in this anguish. It can't leave those thoughts. They're there. They won't ever go. It's confined. There's not going to be the, the ability to remember good times on the earth that they had. They're not going to have time to remember all those friends that they said, I'm going to party with in hell. That's not going to be on their mind. Their mind will be in anguish. It'll be suffering. This is apart from the physical suffering that will be taking place. But the rebellious mind of man will also suffer wrath. And then as we conclude, as he's been stressing all along, by the way, really since we got into Romans chapter 1, Paul has been stressing this, how it's to, it's, this is true of every man. He says in verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, comparing what we're going to be experiencing in eternity as compared to what we just read of those facing the judgment of the condemned. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respecter of persons with God. Again, Paul, with who he is writing here to, concerned that his own countrymen believed because of being God's chosen nation, they believed they were fine. And Paul is stressing that's not true. You're under the same condemnation. You're going to face this judgment. And really, contextually speaking, he's being very clear, it's going to get even clearer as we go through here, that they're going to be facing even a far greater wrath because of the light and knowledge that has been given. For us today, this would be those who are under the, the deception in their own heart that they have their own thing worked out between them and God. Multitudes. It's one, of the, it's one of the devil's greatest deceptions is just that. They recognize that the person through general revelation, like we read about in chapter 1, does come to the conclusion that there is a creator. That still is the multitudes, even though atheism is on the rise. The, the, uh, and of course, that person gets into a problem when he still when he sees God as God, but he doesn't want to glorify God as God. So one way they come to a compromise in their mind to to get through the days, if you will, is is a simple belief. They hear it. They'll hear it on the radio. They hear it on television. Listen, God wouldn't send me to hell. I mean. You could have heard, if you don't believe me, pull this up. You can watch the interview that this man did with Robert Schuller. The man's name is Billy Graham. In his, in his latter years, before his death, think how the devil used this on multitudes. Denying the existence of hell. Believing 
Muslims would be saved. Buddhists would be saved. It is stunning and it is shocking. You see, you don't have your own thing worked out between you and God. That's what Paul is stressing here. As you read chapter 3, he's saying, I'm saying all this so that every mouth will be stopped and that you're going to realize you need Christ and His righteousness. Christian, we will face ourselves a terrifying judgment day when all your deeds will be made manifest. But we have been given a path right here of what God wants to see on that judgment day. And those things come with the righteousness of Christ when you got saved. They're there. For us to choose to seek a life to glorify God, hoping one day of God's honor upon us, looking forward to that immortality, having our focus on the eternal and not on the temporal. That, that is where life should be every day for us. Not allowing the things of this world and the stresses and the... One day you're going to realize how the things that bother you were nothing. Nothing at all. Make life about God with heads bowed and eyes closed.